We love to grow up telling our kids, monsters aren't real. When the reality is, monsters are very real. They may not look like they look on our television set. They may not look like they do on the movie screen. They might not have uh, big fangs and werewolf ears. But the fact of the matter is, we are surrounded by real-life monsters every day of our life. Some of us work with people who can't be described as anything but monsters. Some of us live next door to people who can't be described as anything but monsters. Some of us have family members who can't be described as anything but monsters. If you were to be honest today and look to your right and look to your left, chances are real good you're sitting by somebody today that in some aspect of their life they're a monster. And we're surrounded by these people that are monsters and there's nothing we can do about the fact that we're surrounded by them. What we have to learn to do is how do we handle and deal with those monsters in our life. Last week we talked about vampires and we talked about how we're surrounded by these people who come along and they sink their fangs into us and they suck the life literally out of us. And most of the time the way they do that is through criticism. If you missed that, you can go to actionchurch.tv, you can listen to the podcast, you can go to your app store, download the Action Church podcast, and it will automatically update every day. And today I want to talk to you about another type of monster. And of course I'm talking about zombies. We had zombie fest here in Canton last night and there was zombies invading our city everywhere. And zombies are kind of the hip thing. They're kind of the cool thing right now. And Christine and I really used to be fans of the show The Walking Dead, which is about zombies. Premise of the show is real simple. If you've been under a rock and don't understand or you've never seen it, the end of the world has come. Uh, the zombie apocalypse has happened. Something happened where they got invaded and affected, and you get bit, you get turned into a zombie, and there's a small remnant of people who haven't been affected, and they're trying to avoid getting their life sucked up by the zombies. And I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking... That sounds like the stupidest show I've ever heard of in my life. I get it. I was a huge skeptic of the show when we first started to watch it. I was like, man, I'm not into zombies. Don't care about zombies. Don't want to watch a show about zombies. And then I watched one episode and I became hooked on The Walking Dead. And the critics of the show love to point out that they just can't get into the show because zombies are so unrealistic. Really? I mean, I get it. On the show, a zombie is someone who's alive. They're not dead. But they're only alive in the fact that they're walking around and they're breathing. They're not living life like they were created to live life. They're not living life like they were made to create life. Now, hear me out. They're not dead. Like I said, they're walking around, they're breathing, but they're not alive either. They're going through the motions. They're missing out on the greatness of life because they're not able to live life the way they were created to live life for. So when people say zombies are unbelievable, I always chuckle to myself and I say, I don't think so because the reality is, is I see zombies every single day of my life. Every day. I see people who are walking around breathing, people who are going through the motions, people who are functioning in the simplest terms of functioning, but they're living their life less 
than what God intended for them to live their life at. They're almost living their life like the movie Groundhog Day. They get up every single day, and it's the same thing. They get out of bed. They brush their teeth. They eat their breakfast. They go to work. They come home. They eat dinner. They go to bed. Somewhere in there, if they got kids, they spend about 10 minutes with the kids. Somewhere in there, they fought with their spouse, and they live this life that day after day is the same routine. It's the crazy cycle, and they wonder why they feel this emptiness inside of them they wonder why they feel this void inside of them you have one one shot at this amazing thing called life i if i don't preach any message around here i preach the fact that life is amazing I'm one of those guys that want to get up every day and suck life dry for every ounce of awesomeness that it has. I'm one of those guys, and I I probably obsess over this too much. I should probably go to a counselor about it sometime. But, like, I obsess too much over the fact that, like, I feel like I have lived longer than I'm going to live. Like 40, I've shared this with you before. 40 really impacted me because let's be honest, I'm not making it to 80. And so, man, I'm like, man, I have lived longer than I'm going to live. And that kind of messed me up. And, man, it even took it to a whole nother level in my life. But, man, hey, I want to seize and grasp every moment. And the last thing I want to do on this earth is live life going through the motions. So many people, though, are living life going through the motions. They're living life like real zombies. It's almost pathetic how pitiful so many of us, and don't miss the way I'm going to word this, choose to live our life. We choose to live our life in a miserable way, in a negative way, in a downtrodden way. We choose to live our life drama-filled and conflict-filled, and we love to thrive on it because most of our lives are so pathetic, we love to thrive on everyone else's drama. Oh, did I say that? Sorry. And we live life as dead men. The Bible says this in Revelation, the angel of the church in Sardis, right? So you need to understand, Jesus, our God's coming to seven different churches, He's approaching seven different churches, about seven different issues he has with these churches. And this is, he's talking to the church at Sardis. And it says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So he's identifying himself. He says, I know your deeds. He says, I know who you are. I know what you do. I know the work that you put in. I know your deeds. He says, you have a reputation of being alive. He says, you've got a reputation. If people were to ask about you, they would say, man, that is a group of people on fire. That is a group of people alive. Hey, that is a group that is out feeding people and clothing people and putting a shelter on during the war. And they're doing all this. Hold on, don't so clap yet. He says, you got this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. He said, you're a fake. You've got everybody fooled. You look good on Facebook. You look good on Instagram. You look good on Twitter. And you post what you want everyone to see. Look at us and look what we're doing But really, you're dead. You're empty. 
You're living life going through the motions. You're living life less than it could be. At the end of the day, he's saying you're a fake. You're a zombie. Sure, you're walking around. Sure, you're breathing. But you're dead inside. Your joy is gone. Your love of life is gone. Your fervor is gone. Your passion is gone. Your purpose is gone. And now you're living life like a zombie. He says, but you're dead. He says, wake up. I like that exclamation point. I'm an exclamation point person. Like sometimes I write stuff and I have to go back and realize I used an exclamation point five sentences in a row and I need to go back and probably tone it down a little bit. It's just the way I, I type and I write like I am. And man, I'm an explanation point kind of guy. So I'm, he's like, wake up! You've got this reputation. You're a fake. You're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. He said, hey, this life you're living, this purpose you're living, it's about to die. It's about to kill you. Get busy strengthening it. Turn it around. Get busy living life because you only get one shot at this thing called life. He says, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. What he's saying is, if you're still here, you still have a purpose. You still have a plan. You still have a vision. You still have a calling. And until God takes you home, that's not done. Man. He says, if you do not wake up, this ought to scare us. He says, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what time I will come to you. He says, if you're going to live life less than what I intended for you to live it for, I'm just going to take you home. If you're going to live life going through the motions, you're of no use to me anymore on this earth, and you don't know when I'm going to come, but I'm going to come, and I'm going to take this precious thing called life from you. It's time that some of us wake up today. It's time that some of us quit using our hurts as an excuse. It's time that some of us quit using our hang-ups as an excuse. It's time that some of us quit using our habits as an excuse. So many of you, you want to sit and talk about your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups, and why you can't live life. Really, what you're saying is, I choose to focus on those hurts. I choose to focus on those habits. I choose to focus on those hang-ups, and I allow those things to have control of me. You're not being very compassionate today. Well, there's another church in town you can go to, and they'll be compassionate. I don't know what church that is, but I'm sure it exists. I'm not here to be compassionate towards you today. I'm here to give you a reality check today. You can leave here and decide you're never coming back to listen to the loudmouth redneck preacher, but you'll leave here today knowing the truth. And the truth is it's time for some of you to wake up and start living the life you were created for. It's time for some of you to stop posting the memes on Facebook about how you're going to wake up and start waking up. Man, you got one shot at life and you're wasting it. You're a zombie. I just don't get it. But Gary, people go through hard times. I get it. But Gary, you don't know what they're saying. I get it. You don't know what I've been through. I get it. I'm sorry you've been through that. It sucks. But there's nothing you can do about it now. 
They stop, except start living. If you've attended Action Church long or you've listened to podcasts long, you'll know that I'm not a very deep preacher. And I don't have a lot of messages and I don't break down a lot of different things. I'm kind of almost a broken record. I used to have a lady, actually she still goes to my church today, but she went to my previous church. And I used to preach this sermon on the frogs. I should probably preach that again. It's a fun sermon. And, um, but she came to my church one time and I preached. But at that time, this is back in the Back in the day, we used to give these things out called CDs. And um, cars used to have CD players in them. And she came to our church one time, stuck that CD in her car, and it got stuck in her CD player. So literally for like six months, all she could listen to was me talking about frogs all the time. You know, couldn't play the radio, couldn't play anything, couldn't get the CD out of her car. She just had to hear me talking about sin and your frogs and how you got to move on. And I'm kind of a broken record. But if you come here long, you know I'm a broken record on some things. Now, I'm a broken record on this fact. You're not a mistake. You are not a mistake. You might have caught mommy and daddy by surprise. You might have been oops to mommy and daddy. You, you, never mind, I ain't going to say that. I almost went, got vulgar there for a minute. Listen, you, you might have caught mommy and daddy by surprise, but you didn't catch God by surprise. So you're not a mistake. You, you know that I believe that God created you. God formed you. He made you. He says, I have the hairs on your head number. Now, for some of you, that's not very complicated like Russell, but for some of you, it's real complicated. I know that God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And I know that sadly very few of you are living out that purpose. Okay? Listen, I can already see the looks on your face because Russell's got cancer and I just made up fun of him for being bald. Here's the difference between Russell's baldness and y'all's baldness. Russell's got enough faith that he's going to grow his hair back and some of you don't have that. So I can make fun of Russell, okay? If I can't make fun of you, there's no point in you coming to church here. Because Lord knows I put a pink shirt on one time and every one of you mofos make fun of me when I walk in the door, okay? It's give and take around here. <laughs> Today we're going to hang out in my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And I haven't preached on this in a long, long time from this point of view, but it just kept coming back to my head. We're going to hang, hang out in Luke 15 today. and My goal is real, real simple this morning. I don't operate on hidden agendas. I'm not trying to pull a bait and switch on you. So let me tell you what I hope happens in your life today when you leave here. I hope you leave here today that realizing no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're involved in today, that God is waiting for you to start living again. I hope when you leave here today you realize it doesn't matter what I've done, it doesn't matter what I've been through, that God is still waiting for me to shut up and come home. My favorite story in the Bible, I feel like in so many ways I've preached it, and I feel like in so many ways it's kind of my life story. It's the story of the prodigal son. If you've never been in church, chances are real good you still know that story. The story of the prodigal son, we've all heard it. The Bible says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of this state. So he divided his property between the two. If you've ever been to church and you've heard a preacher preach on this story and you've ever heard this story before, it's one of those golden oldies. It's one of those sugar sticks for so many preachers, including me. I've been sitting on this thought for a while and thinking about preaching it, but I'm like, man, I preached it about four years ago. I don't know if it's time yet, and this week I just knew it was time to bring it back out. Now, before we start the sermon, let me clarify some things for you today. 
Sometimes we hear something so much, don't miss this, sometimes we hear something so much that it affects our ability to hear the lesson in it. So many of us are so familiar with the story of the prodigal son that it's real, real easy when the prodigal son is preached to tune out and miss out the lesson that I'm going to teach you today. I've heard preachers get up for years and preach on the prodigal son, and they talk about the younger son like he's the most evil person in the world. He was in sin, and he went off, and he was rebellious, and he was this, and shut up. How dare he go and get his inheritance early? But as you read the text, there's nothing, nothing that suggests he was in rebellion at this time. In fact, if you were to go back and study, you would see that it was very customary for sons of wealthy people to come and try to get their inheritance early. They wanted the inheritance early so they could begin to build their lives build their livestock, build their farms, build their careers. This was a very common practice in this day. There were two sons, so the oldest son would have got two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would have got one-third. The younger son goes to his father, and he asked for his portion early. And so, so many preachers say he was selfish, he was this, he was that. He wanted it all early instead of waiting for the right time. Like I said, there's nothing that suggests that to me. The preachers preached that one morning the son got up and he decided to rebel against his father. That he just woke up one morning and decided that he was going to ruin his life by taking what was not rightfully his. It was rightfully his. It just wasn't rightfully his at this time. Is the, is the younger son guilty of being impatient? Possibly. Do we have any suggestion in this story that he was being arrogant in his demands? I don't see that. I don't see anything evil about his intentions. And I say that to say this today. So many of you, so many of us, are where we are today. We're here today. And so many times we find ourselves at a place in life you never thought you would be, but you didn't set out in the beginning to get there. The younger son's about to find himself in a bad place. But I do not believe at this time that was the end goal. I do not believe he set out to lose everything. I do not believe he set out to destroy his life and ruin his life. No, no, no. His intentions, I do not believe, were wrong. He set out, but he set out on a path, and the path took him in a direction he never should have been. It's not that we're some type of evil person. It's not that you're some type of evil person. You just wanted something. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You wanted something so bad, you didn't think about the consequences for what you wanted. And here's what scares me in this story. The part of the story that scares me the most is the son went to the father. The father knew it was probably going to end bad. But he gives the son exactly what he asked for. The father knew it wasn't a good idea. But he let the son do what the son wanted to do. Can I tell you so many times in my walk with God I've been that son? There's no way God didn't know I was headed down the wrong path. 
There was way too many times God didn't know. God knew this is not going to end well for him. But God, contrary to popular belief, is not a puppet master up in heaven pulling the strings and dictating every move you make. Sometimes God knows he's got to let you venture out on your own where you can find yourself in the end. So many times we set out to do things our own way. We get involved in things we shouldn't have been involved in. We head down this path we shouldn't have headed down, and God allows us to head down that path. He's a God of free will. He's a God of choice. He's never going to dictate how you operate your life. That scares me a little bit. The Father knew this was not a good idea, but he let the son head out. The father doesn't argue with the son. He doesn't withhold what the son wants. <laughs> hey, listen, some of you today are in a place you never thought you'd be. Don't miss this. You're in a place you never thought you'd be, but you're exactly in the place you decided to go. You might not even realize you were heading that way. Many times God will let us go our own way, even though he knows that's not the way we should go. And then we get in that place where we want to blame God for where we are. But we're the ones who set out that way in the first place. Why does God allow this to happen? Got a buddy of mine right now. Doesn't have his license. He's had three DUIs in two years. I don't understand why God has done this to me. God didn't do it to you, you stupid idiot. You did it. Not very pastoral. I don't care. He got behind the wheel drunk. He got pulled over. Yeah, he wants to blame God that he's an idiot. And oh, by the way, I'm not being judgmental. I've been an idiot in plenty of places in my life. I am one, therefore I can call one out. Man, it's not that you're an evil person. It's not that the son was an evil person. We just sat out on our own thinking we know what's best. It's going to be a little different summer day. I'm not going to give you three points in a poem. We're just going to read some scripture and we're going to stop every few seconds because there's so much depth in here. Man, you weren't out to destroy your marriage when you started flirting with that coworker at work. You just needed some affirmation. Because you weren't getting it at home. And you thought two wrongs made a right. You didn't set out to just ruin everything and destroy everything. But look where you are today. <laughs> you moved out of mom and dad's house for the first time. And for the first time, you called the shots. You started experimenting with some things that were just fun. And they were fun for a moment. But years later, you're hooked and you're strung out. And those things control your life. There's no addict who ever hit the pipe for the first time and said, this is what I want to do. I want to be an addict and destroy my life. And if they said they did, they're a liar. I've never met him. I said, man, I'm going to shoot up this first time, and I'm going to ruin my life in the process. That's my goal. I want to lose my kids. I want to lose my family. I want to lose my job. No one ever sets out like that. doesn't make them an evil person. Sometimes we just make choices that head us down the wrong path. <laughs> at this point in the sermon, we're at the happy point of the sermon. 
Son asks for something, daddy gives it to him, and he's heading out to do his thing. At this point in the sermon, nothing bad has happened. He's not living the zombie life yet. At this moment, he's young, dumb, and got a pocket full of money. Life is good. Big balling, shot calling. Life is good. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. We'll get to that in a minute. But not long after that, verse 13, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. Now here's the deal, when he set off to that distant country, he had no idea what was coming towards him. He was chasing opportunity. He was chasing a future. In his mind, he was going after something that was going to better him. He had no idea he was about to ruin his life. Again, he wasn't an evil person. He wasn't a bad person. He was maybe an impatient person, and boy, being impatient can ruin you. He wanted everything now. He got the inheritance now, and he set off to the distant country. He had no idea he was about to destroy his spirituality. He had no idea he was about to find himself literally lower than he ever imagined possible. (laughs) The story turns poorly for this young man, but at this point, he's simply taken the first step in the wrong direction. In this point, he's hung out with that person he probably shouldn't hang out with. Maybe he's dabbled in some things he shouldn't have dabbled in, but he's just taken that first step. He hasn't destroyed his life, (laughs) but this was the moment everything started to unravel. I feel confident that most of us here today can look back in our life and whatever area of our life is destroying us and that we're not living to the fullest. And we can pinpoint some times in our life where we took that first step in the wrong direction. You didn't know it at the time, but if you could go back in time, had we known the outcome, we'd have never headed that way. Oh, by the way, many times the first step is not when you do the final act. The first step was not the needle. The first step was not the drink. The first step was not when you finally stole money from work. There was many steps before that. And as you look back now, you can realize, man, that's the time I took that step. That's the time I made that comment. That's the time I had that thought. It's the time I made that decision, and that led to like a snowball rolling down a hill, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. When I was in Bible college, they brought in, I remember we had a thing called chapel once a week, and they brought in this black preacher. I'd never heard a black preacher before. I, when I got, gave my life to Christ, it was in Cumming, Georgia. There's no black people in Forsyth County, and you never heard of black preachers, being honest with you. And this dude came in, and I'd never heard a black dude preach before, and this dude shucked the corn for 45 minutes. I mean, he sweated, and he hollered, and he 
took his jacket off and he took his thing off and he had this ability for 45 minutes for every sentence to rhyme and he would breathe in this heavy way and then he got with it. Ain't nobody can preach like a black man. Nobody. But he said something, and I've used this phrase before, but he said something, it was the first time I'd ever heard this. He said in that deep, bass-booming voice, he said, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And the prodigal son's about to realize this. The younger son, he's not the prodigal son at this time. The younger son is about to find out that that step's about to cost him everything. His intentions weren't wrong. His heart wasn't wrong. He wasn't a bad person, but he set off to a distant country. Sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go. It will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Listen, man, that is a truth you can take to the bank. I've seen people over and over head out to that distant country. Hey, my name is Gary Lamb, and I, I, man, I have been there, done that, got the T-shirt to prove it. I am the king of dumb decisions. Paul in the New Testament said, I am the chief among sinners. Hey, you're in good company at Action Church. I am the chief among sinners around here. And it's not always huge things that you think you know about me. Sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's just stupid decisions in business that take me off in a bad place where I lose everything. That point when you set off, you didn't set out to lose everything. Listen, listen, listen. There's a man here today, and you never knew that first time you picked up that Playboy magazine 30 years ago, it would warp your mind so much that you can't even have a healthy sexual relationship with your spouse today. You're not going to get a lot of amens when you use that example. But here's what I know. I know it's true out there. You never had that thought when you did that. There's a girl here today, and you've met some guy, and he's convinced you he loves you. And next thing you know, you're pregnant. And now you feel trapped with some guy that you can't stand. And you never thought that when he asked you out on that first date. Christine always says, we put more thought into who breeds our dogs than to who we create kids with. She let her preach that one day. There's an addict here. I keep hitting, I don't know why addicts are in my mind today. There's an addict here. And you never knew the first time you put that flame to that pipe, you'd be where you were today. You took that step. It takes one step. One step. If I was to walk a single file line for two miles and not waver, I'd end up two miles down the road. If I was to take one step off during that two miles and head off for two more miles, they tell me that I could be as far away as 15 miles from the original destination point. Set off to a distant country. Can you pinpoint that time in your life when you set off that way? This young man is about to, oh, don't miss this. This man set off to a distant country and he's about to locate himself outside the presence of his father. 
That's a dangerous place. After he had spent everything, verse 14, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Now the story's turning for the negative. There's three things here. He spent everything. There was a severe famine. The Bible says he began to be in need. There's some of us here today, and you spent everything. And maybe finally you're here today, and you're ready to look to God. (laughs) The story reads like this happened overnight. It didn't. It never happened overnight. This was not a wild weekend, and he lost everything. He might have spent years partying. He might have spent months partying. We, We don't know what it was, but we do know that the good time had now ended. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, this is the day I'm going to ruin my life. This is the day I'm going to lose everything. This is the day I'll blow it in huge ways. That's not how sin works. How many of you have ever been driving down the road and you've had a flat tire through a blowout? Instantly your tire blew up. Raise your hand. Keep them up. One, two. Just blew up. Awesome. About 10% of you. Now, how many of you have come out and had a flat tire and just overnight it slowly leaked out and the tire went flat? Yeah, almost 100% of you. Implosion leaks out over time so many more times than it does just a blow-up. Once the blow-up comes, that's just when everyone's found out about it. It's been going on for years. It's kind of like when someone gets divorced. A man and a woman, they get divorced. The woman comes to the man. She says, I'm leaving. The man is in shock. He doesn't know where it came from. How did this happen? What he doesn't realize is the wife's been thinking about it for a year. She checked out a year and a half ago. She's been processing for a long time. She's been fighting that struggle and fighting that battle. He thinks it came out of nowhere, and she's like, no, it's been a slow leak. You started neglecting me a long time ago. You checked out of this marriage a long time ago. It's a shock to the one who's not leaving. It's not a shock to the one who decides to leave. Sin doesn't happen overnight. He began. He spent everything. The second thing, there was a severe famine in the land. Everything around him was in a bad position. His world around him was falling apart. When you hit the bottom, have you ever noticed it seems like it comes in waves? You ever been in the ocean and got knocked down by a wave? My favorite, you know the stupid little videos they play on Facebook is the fat lady. I'm not trying to be mean, nothing against fat ladies. But I'm saying this lady was fat. And because she was fat, it kind of messed her up in the video. But the one where the wave knocks her down. And she starts to get back up, and the next wave comes, and it knocks her down. And she rolls over, and she's trying to get back up, and another wave hits her. And she can't get any bearings because every time she tries to stand up, a wave's hitting her. That's what's happening to our brother right now. There was a severe famine in the land. He's lost everything. His world's falling apart. Everything around him is coming and waves, and it's hitting him, and he has nothing to eat, and he has nowhere to stay, and he has no friends anymore. And, 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 and when everything around him's falling apart, he hits the bottom. See, there's, there's a grace period, if you will, between sin and the punishment. He set off in the distant country maybe two years before, three years before, six months before, and he got to live the life. But now the punishment's come. And the Bible says he began to be in need. (laughs) He began 
to be in need. He looked around and he realized that he was in this horrible position. I love that the Bible says he began to be in need. Verse 15, are we awake back there on the screens? Who's running those screens? Xander? Glenn? Dang, it means it's Tanya. Tanya? Xander. Xander, you're sleeping? You're like the, the computer god. It wasn't a minute ago, Tanya. I don't need any backlash from the peanut gallery. So he went to, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. You need to understand something about this verse. It doesn't get any lower than this. In this time and in this culture, feeding pigs is a bad job for anybody. I don't even think pig farmers want to go feed pigs. But he's a Jew, and Jews weren't allowed to eat pigs. They weren't allowed to touch pigs because they were unclean animals. And, and here's this dude who had everything. And now he's as low as he can go. He's in a field feeding pigs who's making and doing this to make a living so he can survive. He began to be in need. I like that it says he began to be in need because here's the deal. You don't got to wait till you're almost dead. It's when you first realize, man, I'm in a bad place. Maybe that comes after that first step. Maybe it comes after that first shoot up. Maybe it comes after the first time you do something horrible. When you begin to be in need, you can then have the realization that you can turn back to the Father. You ever been there? You ever been where you're up here? And now you're down here? Man, 10 years ago I went, quote Ric Flair. Anytime you can quote Ric Flair in a sermon is a good thing. I, I literally went from a 33-year-old styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, listen, Rolex wearing, kiss stealing, to living in someone's basement. to literally not being able to show my face in this town. And we set off to a distant country. I like to think I wasn't a bad person. It was never the end goal was to destroy everything and affect my kids and hurt so many people. But you set off to that distant country. You set off another step to that distant country. And you keep stepping, and you keep stepping, and at the end of the day, you think you're invincible, and you justify your sin. Man, God's allowing me to do this. There's pleasure in sin for a season, then it all crashes down around you. I, I can relate to where this son was. I can remember being so broke. I went from making a probably... $125,000, $130,000 a year at 33 was pretty good money to literally making zero money. And I can remember being so broke that one time I went to Little Caesars and bought a $5 pizza and I remember getting back to these people's basement and I remember looking at that pizza and thinking, how many days can I live on this pizza? Because I don't have any money to buy anything else. So I can relate to this son. 
and so can some of you. Let me rephrase that. Back it up. So can all of you. At one time or another. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was when your spouse walked out the door. Maybe it was when you woke up behind bars. Maybe it's when defects kicked in your door and took your kids for the first time. Maybe it's when you ran off the road and went through a tree and they didn't know if you were going to make it to the next night. But you've been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. That's where the sun is. He looked around and he wondered, how did this happen? Man, we never set off in that direction thinking it's going to end like that. Matter of fact, we, we <laughs> maybe you don't. Say confession is good for the soul, it's bad for the ego. I thought I could handle it. I, I thought I was smarter than that. I got this stupid idiot in my life. Anybody got a stupid idiot in their life? Okay. Brandon, where's Brandon Harris? Brandon Harris is not the stupid idiot. But, but, I, but I'm going to probably butcher this story, so I need you to bear. Help me if I get it right. So this stupid idiot in my life relapsed. And I said, man, you're going to die one day. And this stupid idiot looked at me and said, no, 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 no. I'm, not, I'm smarter than everyone else. Now, I, I, I don't do drugs. And if you do, I'm not judging you. Well, I, you probably should quit. But I love you. But this, this was his logic. This seemed like crazy logic to me. I won't overdose. Because I mix my heroin and my meth together. And they offset each other. I'm smarter than most people. Now, does is, is that sound right? Did I just say that? Is that what people do, Brandon? But it's pretty stupid. But he thought he was smarter than everyone else. Ain't it amazing how we think that? It's what happened to me. I got this. I know when to pull back. I'm sure that son thought that too. Man, I'm going to spend a little bit more and spend a little bit more and spend a little bit more. And then all of a sudden there's a family in the land. He's lost everything. Man, I, got to, I know where to draw the line. Yes, yes, I'm an alcoholic. Yes, I've got three DUIs. Yes, I've lost everything over alcohol. But, but I can, one beer won't hurt me. But you know it's like a Lay's potato chip. You can't have one. Man. I get, you're, you're like, this is not what I expected this morning, but, but sometimes you need a reminder. Hmm. You need someone who loves you enough to tell you, you are better than what you've become. As someone who loves life, my wife would tell you, I can't stand to see people living life going through the motions. Even when people are hurt, legitimately hurt, I'm like, good Lord, man, like you're wasting the six months, three years, five years, you're wasting that time healing. I get you got to heal. But man, you're wasting this gift called life. Make the most of it. You're living like a zombie. Some of you in marriages that have been dead for 20 years. What are we supposed to do? I don't have the answer for that. But get busy living. Be danged if I'm going to waste my life going through the motions. He longed, verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him. This joker has hit the rock bottom so bad, he's hanging out with pigs and thinking the pig food looks good. 
thinking the pig food looks good. Man, the pigs are eating better than I'm eating. And he couldn't even get some of the pig food. Sin had literally destroyed his life. He's lower than low. He didn't know how he got there, but he's there. Had he known he was going to end up there, I don't believe he ever would have set out on that path. But he did. And now he's living life like a zombie. He's living and he's breathing, but he's living life less than what he intended to be. Now, we went from the part wasn't so bad to it got really bad. But now it's about to get good. About to get good. I don't watch The Walking Dead anymore because they killed Glenn, and we quit watching when they killed Glenn. Smacked his head, and it thud. It was horrible. He said, who's Glenn? I used to have to watch the show to figure it out, but now you know Glenn's going to die if you've never watched it. So maybe they have a vaccine now in The Walking Dead to turn on, but I don't think they do because that would kind of kill the show. But this is the vaccine, if you will, for us who are walking zombies. The Bible says in verse 17, when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants had food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He said, I can go back home and be a servant for my dad and eat better than I'm eating here. But check what he had to do. When he came to his senses. My prayer for some of you today is that you'll come to your senses. My prayer is that you would come to your senses. I pray that you would look around today and realize, man, that you're feeding pigs when you could be living in a palace. You're barely functioning in life when God says, I've got this amazing gift called life for you. But you refuse to come to your senses. You'd rather have self-pity You'd rather feed negativity in your life. You'd rather hang out with people who are miserable like you're miserable because they've been loyal and they've been your friends. Misery loves company. The problem with some of you is the people you hang out with are miserable. I always find it, find it funny when, when junkies are trying to get clean but they keep hanging out with active junkies. Literally, I met someone the other day and they said, man, so-and-so's helping me get my finances in order. I said, so-and-so who went bankrupt 18 months ago? Well, they learned a lot. I said, or you could find someone who knows how to handle their money, knows how to operate a budget, who knows how to spend and save and didn't have to go through the pain of going bankrupt to learn the right way. Why do we always, I want to be careful how I word that because I don't want to call somebody failures because I I hate that word. But why do we go someone who screwed up to learn how to live right? Why don't we go to the person who's been married 50 years and ask them how to have a happy marriage instead of going to the guy, and listen, I've been there, so I'm not judging you, who's been divorced. And even if their marriage is good now, I, I, I love Christine's grandparents. Man, I was like, been married 500 years? It's awesome. Still hold hands, still in love. That's who I want to learn from. You can learn lessons in the pig pen, but I want to learn lessons from the dude in the palace. Man, dear God, come to your senses. There's some lady out here today 
and you're shacking up with some dude who treats you like garbage. And you know he treats you like garbage. But you'd rather be treated like garbage than the fear of being alone. I hope you come to your senses today. I'm praying for that dude today that can't have a relationship with his children because he'd rather be hooked on drugs than hooked on his kids. And I hope you come to your senses. I'm praying for that teenager today. Good God, the peer pressure teenagers deal with today. What is wrong with teenagers today? Were we that crazy? Like, I thought we were crazy, but they're crazy, crazy. God forbid I'd have had Snapchat when I was a teenager. Ooh, holy smoke. There's some teenager dealing with peer pressure today. I'm going to brag on Emily for a minute. So Emily had this little boyfriend. I hope his parents aren't watching. And the little boyfriend screwed up and smacked Emily on the butt. Boys do that. I get it. I probably smacked some butts in my life, like once. And Emily said, don't smack my butt again. Well, he thought he'd be cooling from his friends, and he smacked her butt again. Now, Emily could have given in to peer pressure, because especially considering homecoming is next Saturday, it's her homecoming date. She could have just rolled with it and been like, huh, that's what guys do, they smack my butt. No, she broke up with that sorry joker. Good. Hey, how pathetic that a 12-year-old has more sense than some of y'all. Standing too close, preacher. You know that story. Have I shared that story lately? I went to preach one time. I went to hear this preacher preach one time. And he's preaching, he's screaming, he's hollering, he's preaching against everything that moves. And he said, some of you out there drinking, and you're ruining your life. And this old man, he had to be 80-something years old, big old Coke bottle glasses. He stood up and said, stand close, preacher, stand close. I took that that meant he agreed with the preacher. And he said, I tell you, some of you are out there doing drugs, and you're, you're listening to the devil's music, and blah, blah, blah. And this 80-something-year-old man stood up and said, stand close, preacher, stand close. And he said, some of you are out there whoring around with people that aren't your wife, and you're ruining everything. And that old man stood up and said, you're standing too close, preacher. You're standing too close. I don't know what that old man was doing in the nursing home, but, man, he did not like that. <laughs> some of you need to come to your senses. The King James Version of the Bible says he came to himself. He looked around and said, there is more in me than what is around me. There is more in me than what is flowing out of me. Here's what I want you to know today. You're better than that hurt. You're better than that habit. You're better than that hang-up. You're better than that loser you're with. You're better than that addiction. You're better than that compromise. You're better. Hey, hey, ladies, ladies, ladies. You're better than dressing like some skank and posting some selfie on Facebook just where you can get affirmation of 100 people to fulfill your ego. You're better than that pride you've allowed to overtake your life. You're better than that anger that controls you. You're better than that insecurity that's destroying you. You're better than all of that. Come to your senses. You're, I got to wrap this up. I got to wrap this up. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and have starving to death? I will set out and I'll go back to my father. When he took the step, he said, I'll set out. 
He didn't wait for someone to come to him, hello. Hello, he set out. Can you go talk to my son? Does your son want me to come talk to you? No, no, I can't then. They need to take the step. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm going to admit what I did wrong, and I'm not going to try to justify it. Sorry, but. No, I'm just going to say, man, I have sinned against heaven and earth, and I'm against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Will you just make me a hired servant? He comes up with a plan. He's going to confess. He's going to work his way back in the Father's good graces. The Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgives us of our sins and purifies us. Sometimes you've got to own up to what you did. He took the first step. He admitted what he did wrong. Some of you could learn from that. He swallowed his pride. Verse 20. Oh, God, I love this part. I saw Grady here today. Grady, you love this part? That's so good. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know why his father saw him? He was looking for him. Shut up. Come on. Still a long way off. He feel compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Man, this flipped the script on the people Jesus was talking to. They would have never expected this. They would have never expected it. For the son to come home would not have been an option in this day and time. The father would have spit in his face and told him what a failure he was. But the father was white waiting for him, searching for him, getting up every morning, scanning the horizon. Oh, here he comes. Man, God's waiting for some of you to come home. But Gary, you don't know what I've done. God's waiting for you to come home. Gary, you don't know what I'm involved in. God's waiting for you to come home home. If I walk through the church, that I, well, you know it's my pet peeve, it's the most arrogant a-holish thing. If I come in the church, the roof will collapse. Don't flatter yourself. God's waiting for you to come home. The son was the one who messed up. And yet the father came out and greeted him. The father got undignified for that culture so he could meet the son. Holy smokes. Man. The son said to him, verse 21, i got to wrap this up. Father, I have sinned against you and against, against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Guess what the son did here? Exactly what he said he was going to do. He didn't take the father's love as weakness and take advantage of it. He still owned up to what he did. The son goes on into a speech and the father says, shut up. The son cuts him off. But the father said to his servants, Quick! That explanation point again. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead. He's alive again. The son of mine was dead. Like a zombie. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found, so they begin to celebrate. <laughs> Some of you today need to shut up and come home. You're missing out on this amazing thing called life. God, it's amazing. It's like the Waffle House, man. 365 days, 24-7. It don't close for the holidays, man. I have more fun asleep than most of you have awake. God, I love life. People are like, how do you have so much energy? I love life. And bang energy drinks. 
That's the key. I love it. And you're wasting it because your hurts, habits, and hang-ups are controlling you. Come to your senses and quit living like a zombie.